Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I hope you managed to get through the weekend. I hope you are well as we move forward in very, very uncertain and unusual times. You know, it, it, look, given what's going on with coronavirus, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the numbers and things like that a little bit later on, one of the things that I think always hits home is when you hear about the people that, that have it, and especially when, when you hear that there's celebrities that have it, which isn't to say it's more significant if a celebrity gets it. It just kind of shows how you know vulnerable we are if we don't take the appropriate precautions when you hear that Prince Charles, for example, has it, although my understanding is he has recovered or is well on his way to recovering, or the uh, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, or early on we have the reports that Tom Hanks, the famous actor, and his wife, Rita Wilson, that they were diagnosed and hospitalized with it, although they seem to have been on the road to recovery, so they've always come through that. So, But it always hits home when you hear celebrities. Now, over the weekend, um, if you are a fan of country music, the the 61-year-old singer-songwriter Joe Diffie passed away, was hospitalized a couple days ago. His most famous song is one called John Deere Green, but uh, country music fans, big fans of that. And and here's another one. I I sent out a tweet about this yesterday. I, um, as, as a fan of pop culture and a fan of music, there are certain performers who you you remember where you were the first time you you heard their their music and i, I when it comes to a guy who was he started off as a mailman in, in chicago um that would be john prine and, and john prine started out in the you know early 70s and he was writing songs while he was delivering mail down in Chicago, I vividly remember where I was, 1975, and and I didn't see John Prine, but I was at a place where I, I had somebody who had a guitar and he was playing John Prine songs, and I had never heard John Prine before, and I, I heard these songs, and it was like, my gosh, this is incredible. And then I went out, and I think he'd released two albums at the time, maybe three, bought those albums, and, you know, since... 1975, almost every time I've had the opportunity to see John Prine in concert. and He's been a regular performer all across the country. He's based out of Nashville now. But I, I've, I've made the point of trying to see it. He's performed in Milwaukee a lot, and I know he has a very, very loyal fan base and out in Madison and things like that. But John Prine, um, I sent out a tweet on this. I mean, his family said that he, now John Prine is 73 years old. John Prine um, has had two very, very severe bouts with cancer. If, for example, you see his photos now and what he looks like at 73 and you compare it to what he looked like, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, it's almost unrecognizable. But, you know, he's he's a cancer survivor and he's had a couple particularly 
vicious forms of cancer. Well, anyways, apparently he was on a European tour, was playing in Europe a few weeks ago, came back to the States. His wife was diagnosed with coronavirus, and the reports are that like two days ago, he was admitted to the hospital and apparently is in critical condition. He's either on a ventilator or has been intubated or something, but they're saying he's in very, very bad shape because he's Again, one of those people that would be particularly vulnerable to the respiratory problems given his health issues. But I, I sent out a tweet with a link to the story on that. So it, it does hit home, and it does show how you know coronavirus can, can affect anybody and how we just have to be careful and how we have to be smart about this. So over the weekend... I, I, I ventured out of the house. Now, I have not been going out of the house very much. My my wife has been making occasional runs to the grocery store to get food and then bringing it back. But I, I really haven't, other than to, I've got about a, a mile-long route, and I'll take the dog for a walk and, and that. But other than that, really haven't been going that many places because, candidly, there, there's not that much stuff going on unless you're going to go to the grocery store or the hardware store or, you know, to pick up some food or something like that, unless you're going out for necessities. And th- that's, I-, I think, the way we should be. We shouldn't be making unnecessary trips. But in any event, Saturday, I decided, okay, I really wanted to get out of the house. So I got in my car, drove to, you know, um, I went to two banks. One was the drive up, made a deposit there, then went to an ATM machine at another bank. And then I went to a grocery store because, you know, we needed to pick up a couple things, and I didn't want my wife to have to leave the house to do that. This is it's actually, I don't want to say it's the first time I've been in a grocery store in the last week or so since the Safer at Home edict came down, but it, it might have been. I mean, because I, I just have not been going out that much. So this is a Saturday. I walked in. The grocery store was not jammed, but there were a lot of people in it. And I do confess that... As I was walking through the aisles, and I had a, I had a list. It was only about like five or six items or seven items that I was supposed to pick up. But as I was walking through the, the grocery store, I confess to being more and more aware, perhaps than I had ever been, of the people around me and the surroundings, and, and trying to, trying to keep my distance from other people because. I, and, you know, I don't know where those folks have been, and I don't want them to get me sick. And also, while I think I'm perfectly healthy, last thing I want to do is get close to somebody else. And I, I don't think I'm carrying coronavirus, but at the same time, I don't want to get closer to somebody so they get freaked out because, oh, I, this guy in the grocery store kind of came up. So I'm trying to do everything I can to maintain that distance. But that was the overriding thought I had as I'm going through the grocery store with the cart. It's not so much... Well, okay, where is the stuff that I'm, I'm looking for? Although I'm thinking, okay, I want to get the stuff. I want to put it in the cart. I want to get out of here as quickly as I can. But it was also that whole operation of I, I just I don't want to be near other people, not just for my sake, but for the sake of other people because you don't want to freak them out. And that was the operative thought I had as I'm walking through the grocery store. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you are out and about, and let's face it, I understand we're all supposed to be sheltering at home, you know, the safer at home, and that makes sense. But nevertheless, my guess is you probably are going out to maybe pick up food or from the takeout delivery or going to the grocery store or the hardware store or or going to work. I know there's a lot of people that still, you know, are in fact going to work in the essential businesses. My question is, do you find yourself more being more and more self-conscious about 
being in proximity to people to the point that, like I say, I'm in the grocery store and there were, there were people like standing at the end of an aisle. Like there was a, it was a couple there at the end of the aisle and rather than try to walk past them and kind of say, excuse me, which you normally do and they get out of the way, I decided, okay, I'm just going to go around and I'm going to go and I'm going to hit the aisle from the other end. I'm going to go down the other aisle and then come back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you actively conscious when you are in one of the retail stores, whether it's Target or Walmart or Costco or any of the grocery stores, are you actively thinking about keeping your distance? Is it almost kind of spooky how you try to, I don't know, segregate yourself from other people? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know that's certainly how I felt on Saturday morning. All right, we're back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this the new reality of the coronavirus world? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gene in Greenfield. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, um, I'm a caregiver, and I'm on my way to vote now. Got my rubber gloves on, my hand sanitizer, and my own pen. So it's very important because we don't know that much about this virus, how contagious it is, um, how long it lives, even after being you know, your home is cleaned. You don't know how long it lives. You don't know that much about it. But no problem staying away from people six feet because your your spray from sneezes and coughs it it'll reach up it'll reach up to six feet. You wear your face so, mask to protect other so other Jean, people. When, when you go in when you go into stores when you go into the grocery store to pick up things that you need. For example, do you do you find yourself consciously then trying to stay away from other people? Yes, yes, not to be mean or rude, no. but because people are lonely, too, you know. I take care of a, a gentleman who's 89 with Alzheimer's, and he's got a weaker system, and I'd rather have him punch and kick me and cuff at me than, <laughs> than you know, curl up and, and have trouble breathing and to be horrible. But it, yeah. that's how serious it is. If, if you're around people that are weaker, um, you need to be mindful of them and it's the thing you can't see that'll hurt you the most so thanks for call. I, no i appreciate it no and you know no well there, there's no question about it i just i think it's one of the things that's kind of driving how we interact let's see a lot of text on this uh jeff i went to the grocery store this morning i totally agree with you i was very aware of where other people were and i also went the long way around to avoid people yeah that that was exactly i mean true story i'm at the i'm at the start of one aisle and i saw that there were there was a couple like i say and they were kind of blocking the aisle at the at the end of, of the aisle and i needed something at the end and instead of what i would normally have done is i would just kind of walk down and they would have seen me and they would have moved over but i thought you know don't don't need to get that close to them here i'm just going to kind of walk around and again it's not so much that I'm concerned that I'm going to get them sick. It's more because I, I think I'm relatively healthy right now. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't want to freak people out. You don't want people 
to be, you know, uncomfortable with that. You have some people um, try to get closer. I back away. They get closer. I step further away. Um, yeah. Jeff, I'm with you. I went to the grocery store about 20 minutes ago, and I wouldn't even walk down an aisle if someone was in it. It's sad, but it's the smart thing to do. I think more and more people are are like that as well. Jeff, um, I just picked up a few fresh vegetables from a local market. The asparagus display involves bundled spears standing upright in a trough of water. I suddenly found myself in an intense game of visual vegetable whack-a-mole as the shopper in front of me lifted several bundles one at a time, then placing them back until she found just the right bundle to place in the cart. My job was to select the two of the ones that hadn't been touched. Mission accomplished. Yeah, that is uh, that is the other way that you kind of like deal with this because one of my assignments yesterday or two yesterday was one of my assignments was okay go get some mushrooms because my wife was making a spaghetti sauce that needed mushrooms and so you go to it was in like a refrigerated area of the store and they had various packs of mushrooms and yes to that point maybe in the past I would have like grabbed a couple and looked to see which ones looked the best. This time it was just like here. I'm going to reach in. I'm going to grab one of the packs of mushrooms. Hopefully this will do. This will be fine. They were fine, but um, yes. Uh, Jeff, I have found myself and other people taking overt steps to social distance ourselves, and in cases where too many converge on a store at once, employees control flow in and out and insist that those waiting to check out maintain proper distance by enforcing with marks on the floor. Yeah, the store that I was um, at, again, had that, you know, and I was trying to follow. It was like, okay, if, you know, you're in the checkout line, here's the X. And then, you know, just wait. Don't get closer to the other person. And, I mean, I don't know if at the end of the day it makes that much difference. I don't know if if the fact that you're out and about, is that really going to stop this if somebody is, in fact, a carrier? But I think, if, if nothing else, it makes sense to me if we try to maintain those various distances. Jeff, I went to Home Depot on Saturday because our sump pump broke. I asked an employee where to find them, and after I walked away from him, I thought, shoot, I was too close to him. I would have never thought that that would have happened before. Hmm. Jeff, I went to pick up plumbing parts at uh, Menards on Saturday for a leaking pipe in my house. I was shocked at how many people were at Menards, families just walking around looking, nobody really going there to buy stuff, just looking for stuff and something to do. Huh. <laughs> I guess I guess my advice in, in this time of coronavirus would be I, I understand why people get bored, and I understand why you might want to vary routines and stuff, but if 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 the idea is, gee, we need something to do, so let's go out to Office Depot or Menards or whatever, and let's just kind of walk up and down the aisles and see the stuff they have, my advice would be save that trip for a month or two because the idea right now is you know, you're only supposed to go out and interact to the point necessary, and what we want to do is we want to get over this as quickly as we possibly can so we can get back to normal and so people can, in fact, go out and shop, and more of those stores that have been closed down that people aren't having any income from, more of those stores can open, so there's more places for people to go and browse. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. It's 1224. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to hear you have you with us. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson has a piece in the USA Today today that is very, very controversial. In about 10 minutes, I want to share that with you. Then we're going to open up the phone lines and discuss whether or not Senator Johnson, 
I don't know. Some people might say it is a clueless and tone-deaf piece. Other people might say that the senator is, is raising issues and offering a perspective that is badly needed. So we're going to discuss that in just a couple moments. For those of you who have been watching the stock market, and, and last week was a decent week for the market, um, kind of made a comeback based on the stimulus plans that ended up getting passed and some things that were done to give the Federal Reserve some more power to be able to deal with some of the short-term impact that the coronavirus problem is going to have. Uh, and that, of course, comes after three weeks of relentless losses. Good news today, um, the market not giving, at least thus far, we've still another two and a half hours before close, but the Dow Jones Industrials up 400 and about 480 points. That's a 2% increase. The NASDAQ up uh, 226 points. That's a 3% increase. Now they're way off where they were uh, again, you know, six weeks ago. There's no question about it. The Dow Jones Industrial at its high was 29,500. Now it's 22,100. But that's still a comeback from its low, which was, I believe, under 19,000 at some point a week and a half ago. So at least so far, I think the markets so far have, have somewhat stabilized as we kind of move into the new normal. And from the perspective of investors who were appropriately freaking out when they'd look at what was going on with their 401ks and things like that, this, this gives them at least a little bit of relief. Um, over the weekend, one of the other things that Governor Evers announced that I think is appropriate given where we are is he's announced a statewide ban on evictions and foreclosures during the coronavirus outbreak. In other words, the, the order says we're going to suspend share of sales on properties that have been foreclosed, and we're going to suspend enforcing eviction orders um, on, on tenants. Now, I have a couple friends who are landlords who were sort of split on this because you, you can say somebody's not paying their rent and they're way behind in, in their rent. I mean, the landlord, typically, the, the only remedy they have is, is eviction because somebody's not paying their rent. It's, it's, if you're the landlord, it's an investment. You've got to get that person out. You've got to get somebody in who can, in fact, pay their rent because if you're the landlord, your bills don't go away. I mean, you've still got, if you've got a mortgage on your rental property, you've still got to make those payments on that. You've still got to pay the property taxes. You've still got to pay the perhaps the, the electric bill, all those different types of things. So to, to say to a landlord, we're going to take away your ultimate ability to, you know, make a profit, which is to, to toss people out, that's a big step. At the same time, we are going through, you know, extraordinary times, and I think the governor's rationale was, you know, we, we, we need to just kind of freeze things, maintain the status quo, because if you evict people now, where are they going to be able to go? We're telling people to shelter at home. So the order is, is 60 days, and I think that that's appropriate. At the same time, I think it does need to be made clear that that doesn't mean the payments go away. And for people who, when they get their stimulus check, are saying, okay, well, there's a 60-day order that um, I, I can't be evicted, so I'm going to take this money and I'm not going to use it to pay back rent. I'm going to use it for something else. Be really careful because the order is only in effect for 60 days, and then landlords get to do what they've always gotten to do, which is demand their payment or demand people move elsewhere. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, now here's the reality of, of coronavirus, and it's the world we live in. There are areas across the country 
that have been hit extremely hard by this. The New York area, probably about 50% of the reported cases of coronavirus. Some of the urban areas have been hit hard. Other areas have not been hit as hard. In Wisconsin, it's, it's the same situation. In Wisconsin, I think the most recent numbers, and these change, so they're going to be updated, but the most recent numbers I have as of a couple hours ago is statewide, there's 1,174 cases of coronavirus. Now, that number is going to go up as they get more tests, et cetera. Um, but the, the majority of those, I think um, half of the cases that are reported are in Milwaukee County. So, I mean, we, we have a, a coronavirus hot spot in Milwaukee County, and if you look at the majority of the cases in Milwaukee County, they appear to be concentrated in a couple areas of neighborhoods in the city of Milwaukee. Um, you have 19 deaths statewide. That's the most recent number I have. Ten of those deaths have been in Milwaukee County, and um, three others in Ozaki County were because of infection at, at one particular senior living facility. Negative test, 16,500. So the, the point here is that when it comes to coronavirus, you, you have hot spots. Now, obviously, you want to make sure that the, it does not spread throughout the state. But at the same time, the majority of the state has very, very few cases of coronavirus in, in various counties. Milwaukee County, an exception. Dane County, an exception. So with that background, here's a, and it's not that long, here's an opinion piece that U.S. Senator Ron Johnson has in USA Today today. Here's what he writes. I'm not aware of any public official, including President Donald Trump, who is calling for a complete opening of the U.S. economy. What more people are saying is that as we learn more about COVID-19, we should evaluate the total societal cost of this awful disease and try to put things into perspective. Each year, approximately 48,000 Americans commit suicide and an estimated 67,000 die of a drug overdose. That level of individual despair has occurred in a strong economy with near record low levels of unemployment in virtually every demographic. Imagine the potential psychological and human toll if this shutdown continues indefinitely. Unemployment reaches 20% or higher, as some now predict, and we sink into a deep recession or depression. The U.S. Senate just passed a $2 trillion coronavirus relief bill in a less-than-perfect attempt to mitigate some of the economic fallout. In addition to the current human toll, future generations will be required to pick up that tab. Every premature death is a tragedy, but death is an unavoidable part of life. More than 2.8 million people die each year, nearly 7,700 a day. The 2017-18 flu season was exceptionally bad, with 61,000 deaths attributed to it. Can you imagine the panic if those mortality statistics were attributed to a new virus and reported nonstop? Social distancing policies make sense because no one wants to overwhelm our health care system to the point of failure. Social distancing should continue until this outbreak is under control. Nonetheless, much of our economy must stay open to provide life's basic necessities. Rather than announcing general shutdowns and drawing up lists of essential businesses that can remain open, Let's draw up lists of non-essential businesses that pose a risk for coronavirus spread. A common-sense approach would be to keep those shut down and to provide financial support to their employees and the business organizations themselves so they can reopen and rehire when the threat subsides. 
All right. The last part of this is the key. What we've done so far is we've taken this, this blanket approach where we've said we're going to close everything down. We're going to tell people to shelter at home. And, and, and I understand that that's, it, it looks to me at least, that that's working, you know, to an extent because, you know, a week ago we were told in Wisconsin, for example, that if we didn't do this, they had these projections that suggested by a week from Wednesday we might be looking at 400 deaths or up to 1,500 deaths. And, and it doesn't appear, unless there's just an exponential explosion of deaths over the course of the next you know, week, it, it doesn't appear that we're going to get close to that, which is a good thing. And maybe that means the original prediction model wasn't the greatest, or it, it means that social distancing is working, whatever. That, that, that's very, very good news. But we have to decide how we're going to start to reopen the, the economy. And right now <clears throat> we have, again, we, we have small businesses that are closed all throughout the state, including in areas where, at least at this point, there's no, there, there's no significant amount of, of coronavirus outbreak. In other parts of the state, it, it's very, very big. So what Senator Johnson is saying is the way we should really look at this is instead of saying everything's got to close except for you know, a handful of essential businesses, why don't we say, Look, we're only going we're going to pick out the businesses that we think are likely to promote a, a spread of this. They, it's probably going to be the restaurants. Unfortunately, restaurants, at least the interior of restaurants or dining rooms, they're going to be closed for a while. There, there's no question about that. that. That's just kind of the reality. I mean, I, I understand, you know, baseball stadiums. I understand banquet halls, things like that. But instead of saying, okay, everything's going to close instead of your essential, should we be trying to say, hey, the, the, the woman who's the dog groomer in Lamira, who has limited contact with, with anybody, and by the way, there's not too much coronavirus in Lamira, but why are we telling her she can't stay open? Um, maybe it's the hairdresser, and I understand you're going to come into close contact with certain patrons, but if you're in an area where there hasn't been lots of coronavirus, do we say to the barber or the hairdresser, no, you, you, you've got to stay closed? Or does it make more sense to say, look, let's start tracking this stuff. Now we've got the testing. We know where the hot spots are. We're going to be able to define the hot spots even more. Let's concentrate on, on those areas. And, and maybe the way we handle businesses in, say, the north on the side, like the north side of Milwaukee, where you have a huge coronavirus outbreak, maybe that's different than the way we handle a business in, in Marinette. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, is, is Johnson's approach completely and totally out, out to lunch? He's essentially saying, <clears throat> yeah, we got to pay attention to this. We have to maintain social distancing, and we got to be cautious as to what we allow to be open. But do we need to be more strategic and surgical about that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Steve in Lake Geneva. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey Jeff. Um, just the, the last example you gave. I don't know how that would work because, okay, all the businesses on the north side are shut. 
So do all the people in the hot zone then go to the south side to shop at those stores? Well, I, I don't know. Well, you say all the businesses that are shut. I, I let the well, first, so, so that, that's like, a whole different question about spot, the quarantine. A hot zone on the north. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no. Well, okay. I, I mean, you, we can figure out how long to extend the how far you want to extend the the quarantine zone. But I guess you, first of all, you've already ordered people to to stay at at home. So we're going to assume that people are right, going to like, if, but, if but you're like in a for, quarantine for foods, thing. Like, say, Right. So say if all businesses were shut down and say a non-essential business like a salon was opened, wouldn't the risk be somebody goes from a hot zone to those salons that are open? I mean, it's the same premise of them floating the idea of let's opening up certain areas. Well, unless you're going to roadblock the roads, aren't you going to have the risk of people going from hot zones into the safe zones? Well, there's always the risk of that, but, but I mean, how likely is it that somebody that, let, let's say for the, the sake of argument that Brown Deer is a hot zone, how, what is really the risk right. that somebody who lives in Brown Deer is going to drive to Marinette to have their dog groomed? I mean, that is a, 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 and, and violate the orders that... Oh, you know, yeah, Brown yeah, yeah, I, just, I completely get that, but I'm thinking, okay, what if Waukesha County is open, or, or even better for that example yeah. would be Washington County. Yeah. Well, and again, again, and thanks for the call, Steve. Look, I, I understand. <clears throat> I understand this isn't perfect, but but to me, it strikes me that you have to be surgical uh, about reopening the, the state because, I mean, here's here's just the reality: the coronavirus isn't going to be going away. I mean, it, it's just not. You're you're a year to year and a half away from having a, a vaccine. All right, so that they might. Over the next few months, hopefully, be develop, able to develop some drug which can lessen the symptoms, kind of like Tamiflu for the—is that what it is? Tamiflu, I think, is what it is. The, the prescription stuff that, that doesn't prevent you from getting the flu, but if you get the flu, you know, it, it minimizes some of that. I mean, that's the best case scenario. But we're going to be living with coronavirus for a long time, and th- that's just kind of the reality. Which is why, to me, I just don't think you can say, "Boom, we're going to have on any given date, we're just going to." raise the curtain everywhere because you're going to have hot spots. Seems to me the key is, and, and this is where the, the testing comes into place, the key is we, we have to, you know, when, when people present with symptoms, we have to figure out, okay, where is this, where is the next hot spot? Because people are still going to, they're going to be getting this. That's just the reality. But we want to make sure that the medical system in that particular area isn't isn't overwhelmed. So let's say, in my example, we've decided we're going to open up the, the bar. We're going to let we're going to let businesses, the barber shops, etc., open up in Marinette. Well, okay, then if all of a sudden you, you start to see an explosion of coronavirus cases in Marinette, well, that maybe that means that then you, you you've got to impose these stricter quarantines or something. But I mean, the way it is right now, you have people who are are being told that they can't go to work, they're losing their revenue, and the, the question becomes, when do you let them go back to work? And again, I understand you, you want to try to have the peaks, but what's going on, I mean, there are, there are several counties, northwest Wisconsin, now again, they're not as populated, there, there's no examples, there, there's no cases of coronavirus, which is good, and you don't want people you know, importing coronavirus from other parts of the state into those areas and overwhelming the health system, but at the same time, you have all these people in counties where there's no incidence of this who are being told, okay, you, you can't go about your work to me that that doesn't make sense to me you have to figure out okay what are the industries that are there that are likely to to spread this and, and that's why i'm getting more and more well questioning as to whether 
you're ever going to be able to resume the NBA season this year, whether you're ever, you know, what the baseball season is, is going to look like because, you know, okay, May 1st comes along. You know, the president said, I want to continue it through the month of April. Okay, May 1st comes along. You're not going to just put up a curtain and say, okay, does this now mean that, you know, everybody go and sit next to each other in Miller Park? That, to me, doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense either. Jay in Milwaukee. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning. What's up? Good afternoon. Hi, Jay. Um, hey, I just I, well, my comment is I don't think it, it'll work. Um, I'm a truck driver, and I'm a local truck driver, and I get up every morning at three o'clock in the morning. And I go down to Chicago to the rail yards, and it's hundreds of drivers from all across the, across the country that go to that. And I'm from Milwaukee, so to say that like the small small town uh, business owner from Lamira, she may be re- ex- expecting a package for myself or my other coworkers to deliver. What if I'm carrying the virus, not knowing it, yeah. pass it off to that person? And I and my company, we deliver pretty much all the counties in Wisconsin. Like today, I just came from what's that, Rosendale, uh, Wisconsin, and I had interaction with one of the receivers there. So I mean, it's it's even though yeah, I mean it's small and cases small. All it takes is one individual like myself, not knowing that I'm carrying it, mm-hmm. to go to some of these counties, and I'm from the hot zone of Milwaukee. <laughs> but, so but yeah, that's another but, thing. But, like, but, yeah, but you're but you're doing that anyways. I mean that this would be nothing different. I mean you're you're because you're an essential business and because the packages have to get delivered, you're you're doing that anyway. So it doesn't it doesn't make any difference if you're a carrier. You're you're going to be a carrier, so you're going to be bringing that virus. Nobody's saying, okay, th- th- we're going to shut down the trucking industry because then we'd be really in a mess. Right. So oh yeah, I, I mean means. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for calling. I guess I just don't see that making it. I guess I don't see that making it any any worse. My only point is, and and I think it's it's what the senator is saying. I think that we have to be smart as we go about dealing with this, and we have to figure out. See, we, we've kind of had this scattergun approach. I mean, l- later on in the show, we're going to talk about a first-world problem. A lot of the golf courses do not understand why they have been closed down. Now, I'm not going to make the argument that a golf course in Wisconsin is an essential business. I'm, I'm not going to make that argument. But I am going to argue what what is the sense of closing down golf courses. Now, you can close down the, the bars. I understand that. So you, the bars and the restaurants and the clubhouses, that makes sense to me. But if you have... You know, one person who who's there letting people go out and walk on a golf course. What, what are we accomplishing by closing down the golf courses? And I think that's what Senator Johnson's getting at. Rather than just simply saying, boom, we're going to close down everything with these exceptions, why don't we concentrate on figuring out where the areas that we're really, what are the businesses that we're really concerned about, and, and then let's let's figure out what we do with them as opposed to, again, the, the, the blanket sort of situations that are out there. Maybe we've been approaching this, and moving forward, maybe we have to be more surgical and we have to be more strategic in figuring out how we're going to get back to normal. And I understand that means that there's some businesses that are going to end up on the losing end of this. That's just kind of the reality of this. And, and again, for, for businesses in the hospitality industry that involve you know, lots of people getting together in, in rooms, well, the rollout for them is, is going to be slower, unfortunately, than maybe it is, and I keep using the example of the dog groomer, who, who's essentially by herself you know, meeting one customer at a time, maybe seven or eight a day. I mean, that we just have to be smarter, I think, in figuring out how we're going to get back to normal and how we're going to let people 
resume their jobs. I think that there's a way that we can do it in certain industries. I think there's a way that we can start doing it sooner than having to wait another three weeks or another 30 days without unnecessarily putting public safety at risk. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You know, interesting, during Greg Matzik's sportscast, he, he makes an interesting point, and I, I hesitate to, to bring this up because some people say, oh, you're, you're just a coronavirus denier, and, and, and I'm not. I understand that this is a significant thing that we need to get our, a handle on. But, you know, during his report, he was talking about how I think everybody from the Utah Jazz that had tested positive has now recovered. And I don't think we do a good enough job of, of pointing out. Now, I understand we're, we're, we want people to obey the safer-at-home orders. We want people to not risk getting exposed themselves or bringing it on to other people. But the, it, we sometimes we lose sight of the fact. I, I talk to some people who, who just think that this is a death sentence. And, and, and for some people, it may very well be. But the reality is, and that's what you know, Matzik was pointing out, he said everybody in the Utah Jazz that had it, they, they've recovered. We, we don't report, we report the number of t- people who have tested positive, but we don't report the number of people who have recovered. Now, again, the, the numbers I have are from this morning. I'm sure they've adjusted. You know, statewide we have 1,174 cases, and there's been 19 deaths. And, and But we don't get the recovery numbers, although my guess is a good portion of that 1,100 have recovered or are on their way to recovery, which isn't minimizing this, but it, it's saying that lots of people that test positive, okay, you're going to be uncomfortable, and, and then you're going to get better. And the other interesting number is that the number of negative tests, 16,550. So there are people who have had some sort of symptom, and, and they've been tested, and it's turned out that they whatever they had, whether it was pneumonia or just the type A influenza or, or whatever, it ended up not being the coronavirus. Now, we want to keep this all under control, and I'm not trying, again, to minimize this, but you, you do have to, I think, kind of look at the numbers and recognize that we, we have to be smart about this. And to me, it's why the key, it, it is testing. It, it's identifying where the hot spots are and then tailoring our response to those those different hot spots. Because, as I was saying before, coronavirus is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's it's not going to go away April 30th. It's not going to go away June 30th. It, it's going to be with us. It's just a question of how do we end up managing this. All right, now, I started off the program by talking about the experience I was having in a grocery store the other day when I'm walking through the, gro- the aisles of the grocery store, and it's like, wow, I, I want to avoid contact with people, not necessarily because, I, first of all, I don't want to come close to them because I don't want, if they happen to be a carrier, I don't want them to transmit it to me. I don't want them to be freaked out and think that I'm a carrier and transmit it to them. It's this kind of different interaction. Over the weekend, there was a story in the local newspaper with a list of all the Milwaukee, or at least some of the Milwaukee bars and restaurants that have closed because of coronavirus concerns. And I, I printed it out, and it's page after page after page of bars and restaurants that have closed. 
And, and my guess is it probably scratches the surface. I, my guess is there's probably hundreds of other bars and restaurants that didn't make the newspaper that it ended up, have ended up closing. Now, I understand that there's some some places that have tried to stay open and, and do the carry-out stuff, and, and that's great. To the extent you know you can support them, that's fine. But my guess is their business is probably off for many of these businesses, you know, it's dine in or it's go in and have a drink at the bar. My guess is a lot of these businesses that are trying to transition over to the curbside pickup and stuff, they're, they're probably doing a fraction <clears throat> of what their their business would normally be. If they're more successful than that, I, that's great. Go with God. I think that's absolutely outstanding. But let, let's face it, th- this is hurting a lot of these businesses. And a lot of the businesses, the bars, the restaurants, etc. They tend to be more economically fragile, and by by that I mean that there's some businesses, maybe maybe even the big chain restaurants. Okay, you've got lines of credit, you've got you know money in the bank, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can stand to be closed for a month, or maybe you can stand to be closed for two months, and you can bring back your employees. There's a lot of smaller businesses, the mom and pop diners, the the small bars, etc. They they can't. They can't afford to stay closed for a long period of time, and yet it looks like that's going to be the reality in Wisconsin. It looks like you know you're you're looking best case scenario another three or four weeks, best case scenario before they open up, and then even if they're still able to open up and survive after that, the question is going to be. What happens to the customer base? And this is what I want to talk to you about. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. Once bars and restaurants start to open up again, are you going to feel comfortable patronizing them in the first 30 to 60 days? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, my guess is, just like I was talking about people going in the supermarket now, being uncomfortable, my guess is, just because the restaurant, I don't know, puts a now open for business sign up, and even if they say, okay, we're going to go back to where it was with Tony Evers' uh, order two or three orders ago, we're going to limit the number of people in their place to 50 or less, etc., my guess is there's going to be a lot of people who are still going to be uncomfortable to go in and sit at that bar next to you know someone else. My guess is there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be uncomfortable to walk into that diner and pull up a stool or, or sit in the counter or sit at a table in relative close proximity to somebody else. I guess I am afraid that for the hospitality industry, even once the government says you can open up, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to decide, you know, I'm not comfortable going out again. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Once the bars and restaurants open up, two weeks from now, four weeks from now, six weeks from now, I don't know, are, are, are you going to be rushing back to them? 855-616-1620. Or do you think you're going to be taking a wait-and-see approach? All right, if you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm trying to figure out what the world is going to look like when we come out of the, the safer-at-home rules. Whenever that might be, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, 
six weeks, eight weeks. And one of the concerns I have is with bars and restaurants, and that is going to be even once they are open, will people be, I don't know, comfortable going into the places? 855-616-1620, James in Milwaukee. James, you're first. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. Okay, are people going to run back to these places? I think it's going to be probably six months to a year or maybe more than that. Uh, I know my, one of my favorite watering holes is on the east side there, and I watch the Packer games, and I sometimes go down on Thursdays. They do a bu- buffet uh, for cheap. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll take six months to a year. Maybe it'll be longer than that. depends on uh, how, how everything uh, comes back. Well, then, James, thanks a lot for the call. I, th- that's See, I guess that's the... That's the concern, and that's the issue I have. I was, I was actually just thinking yesterday. There's a, a, a little place um, in Cedarburg that, that a couple of my golf buddies go to, and, you know, we'll hang out there and watch the Packer games and stuff. And it's people, you know, packed. You know, you cram into the bar, and it's people, you know, standing two and three deep at the bar, and you're watching the Packer game, and you're cheering. And it's a small business. And I actually find myself, I was sitting here actually thinking last night, <clears throat> I wonder what this place is going to look like is 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 this one of the places that's going to be able to survive being closed down no income nothing coming in for four weeks six weeks eight whatever that number is going to be and then what's going to happen with the clientele are people going to be willing to you know rush back and i guess i'm a little bit skeptical about that i think that's going to be one of the effects okay let's go to the um let's go to the text line jeff what about the state fair? I know I will not go this year. Huh. You know, that's, that, you know, what is the new normal going to be? Jeff, absolutely. As soon as the bars open up, I'm heading back. Drinks on me. All right. Jeff, absolutely. I will patronize them the day they open. That's good to hear. Absolutely. I would have no issues at all heading in. Well, I think that's kind of, I think that's where I feel. I mean, look, one of the things I, I miss in the return to normalcy is I, I, I love going out to restaurants. It's one of the things I enjoy. I, I collect bars. I love going out and sitting down at a bar and having a drink or things like that and interacting with people. I, I love seeing all the servers I like. I like to think that as soon as they open up, I, I'm going to make plans that I'm going to, you know, we're going to catch up and go out to all these places as soon as they open up, if some of the places that I like a lot do open up. And that's one of the concerns that I have, especially with the smaller places. I'd like to think that that's what we're going to do. But I will tell you, just like just like as I was interacting in the grocery store last Saturday, I'm sitting here thinking in the back of my mind, all right, you know, what? what is the reality really going to be? Because... Given the fact that we do live in this coronavirus world, given that it's going to be with us for a long period of time, I don't know, is is the fact that, oh, all of a sudden we've hit this particular date, now it's great, let's let's go sit at the bar, you know, and be shoulder to shoulder. I, I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be reluctant, um, you know, reluctant to do that. Now, I'm telling you, I'm thinking my plan is I'm going to go out there and I'm going to patronize these places because, well, it's just a big part of life. David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, David. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I do own a couple uh, restaurant bars, and you know my my thing. I mean, yes, we would like to have our place full and, and get everybody in the uh, place again. 
but uh, realistically, it's going to be difficult. Um, but I would be willing to even go down to, like, one of my locations has 22 tables. I'd go down to seven tables and keep them all separated, the, the patrons, and, you know, hopefully be open for six or seven hours and have those full uh, throughout that time because that would keep me alive and, and be able to pay all the bills and, and at least have probably 30 to 40% of my staff back. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a difficult mm-hmm. one, and I think it's going to be hard for people to come back out because I even have that same question myself going out to other mm-hmm. establishments that I really like to go to. How, how, hard, how hard has this been on your business? I, and that might even sound like a stupid question because you've been ordered closed. So, I mean, but, but how tough has right. this been? Um, well, with the business, I'm a certified financial planner, so I, I had money set aside for, you know, catastrophes. But the issue that happens is, is trying to keep your costs low. Um, so a hard part of it is that, you know, we're probably 60 to 70% off of our sales. So then you have to adjust that with, uh, labor costs. So you're running on very, very thin, um, you know, staffing. And then when we do have our, uh, drive ups, um, you know, and takeouts, it's, it's real difficult, uh, because people do get kind of mad <laughs> because you're trying to get all their orders. And, um, reality is, is you're running with, you know, very little staff and you right. want to keep them happy. And most of them are pretty uh, nice about it, but, um, uh, mm-hmm. there are just some that I get pretty angry, but, uh, you know, keeping your labor costs low or below 20%, then you're going to be fine and, and, uh, trying to at least have enough, um, product on hand. David, do you agree with my premise that there's going to be a, a, a decent percentage of businesses in the hospitality industry, restaurants and bars that have been closed that aren't going to reopen? And I don't know if that percentage is going to be 10 or 20 percent, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if this just puts a lot of places under. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. I mean, even out in Seattle, Washington, the, uh, the some of the articles you read out there is 30 percent of them are not coming back at all. So it's kind of scary when you see that. Mm, 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 mm. Thanks for the call, David. I appreciate. Yeah, it, I mean it is. It is scary, and I mean it. See that that's the you know it, it's interesting. Last Friday, um, I, I love fish fries. I love going out for Friday fish fries. And there's a place right down the street from us that was was open for for takeout. It was great. They opened at four o'clock. We called them at four o'clock and and actually ordered you know perch fish fries or whatever the fish fries that they had were. And they said, well, no, we're actually we're sold out of them. We we have commitments. And I thought that's that's just absolutely great that people are patronizing it. But at the same time, let's face it, that's that's uh that's great. But that's not going to be enough to. You know, keep you afloat. You're you're losing your bar business, which is a huge chunk of a lot of restaurants. And it, it, you know, it's great if you can you know do something like that to keep a couple cooks employed and maybe you know a server or something. But it but it's not the big picture. And there's just a lot of people who, even if they could stay open for carryout, I think the reality is they've just kind of figured, hey, you know, we we can't make enough money to do that. Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, I mean that. that I, I wonder what the future is going to look like again, particularly for some of the smaller businesses. And I, there, there's one story after another over the weekend talking about how workers and particularly small businesses, and I was focusing on the hospitality industry, just lack the funds to tide them over until help comes. Um, you. You, you look at, and again, let, let's let's talk about bars and restaurants. Um, l- look at what's 
look at what has been missed over the course of, of just the, the last month, the, the timing of this. You had you had St. Patrick's Day, which was just a, a huge day in that industry. And you might say, oh, it's, it's only one day. Well, yeah, but it's it's a big day. And my guess is, for example, there's a lot of, let's say, Irish bars and restaurants, you know, in, talk about, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, that, that a good chunk, the money they make on St. Patrick's Day is enough to carry them over through, you know, some of the lean times to make up for the money they're not making in February or in January or something like that. So you lose all that revenue. Then, of course, I mean, think about, you know, the NCAA canceled March Madness. Think about all the bars and restaurants that, you know, um, are just packed with people piling in to watch, you know, the ball games and things like that. Think about all the bars and restaurants, for example, down around Fiserv Forum. They've already announced that one of the big places, Punch Bowl Social, which just didn't go in there that long ago, that, that, that's closing and it's not going to reopen. And, you know, if you talk to a lot of the businesses that are, for example, in that area, what they're going to tell you is that they are, they're very, very dependent on, on activities at Fiserv. Meaning that, you know, when the Bucks are playing, for example, they got great business before the game, they got great business after the game. But on a, you know, Tuesday night, when there's an ordinary Tuesday night, when there's absolutely nothing going on, the places are dead. That, that's just kind of the reality that you're in there. I think there's a lot of those businesses who aren't coming back because, you know, they, they've missed the basketball season. They probably can't wait until, you know, another few months. And, and that's where you're going to really see, I think, the economic impact, you know, that, that's moving forward. And it's, it's what kind of scares me about what's going to happen. And for everybody who thinks that, gee, as soon as we get the all-clear order, let's start reopening these places, for everybody who thinks that that's just going to, all of a sudden it's going to be like turning the faucet on and the bathtub's going to fill up with water. I don't mean to be a negative guy because I'm not, but I I think it's going to take a while before people feel comfortable going back into the bars, into the restaurants. I mean, not not to get your hair cut in the barber shop and not for the dog groomers and not for the person that runs the Hallmark store, but the hospitality industry where you're counting on all sorts of people again coming in. I think it's going to take I think it's going to take a long while. And my concern is, you know, what's going to be the effect? You know, our last caller said he's seeing in Seattle there's about a 30% attrition rate. Boy, you hope it's not that bad, but it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. number of people are texting and, and making a, a good point. You have to be careful with these numbers. For example, we, we had a, a shortage of tests. So my, my guess is that the actual number of people in Wisconsin who contracted over the last couple of weeks coronavirus, probably larger than, than 1,221. That's my guess. But many of those folks were either probably asymptomatic or didn't feel good and then just got over it themselves and hadn't been tested. So the, the universe is probably larger. That's why I think that as we get more and more tests, the numbers are going to increase. It would be interesting, and a number of people are making this point on our text line, that in addition to the number of positive tests and the number of deaths, it would be interesting to give the number of people who, who have recovered from this. For example, you know, I, I don't know. We know, we know almost 16,000 people who were tested negative, um, 1,221 positive tests. Of those 1,221, uh, how many have recovered? We know that 14 people passed away. How many people have, have recovered from that? And, and that number isn't included. And then the, the one number that I think 
would, would really be helpful to help giving everybody perspective is the number of people who have been hospital, hospitalized as as a result of this. Because at, at the end of the day, and that's, that, that's the one thing I, I know I'm kind of on my soapbox trying to emphasize with this, that the coronavirus is going to be with us. And I know I keep saying, but that's just the reality. It's not April 30th. We're not going to lift this curtain and it's going to go away. <clears throat> it is going to go. It's going to be with us. It's going to be with us until we develop some form of treatment, and then ultimately a year from now or a year and a half from now or whenever it takes until we develop a vaccine. So it's going to be with us. So what we have to do is figure out a way to manage it so it does not overwhelm (coughs) the health system because that's ultimately the concern. So I think in trying to judge that, it would be effective and a good thing uh, of of those <clears throat> 1,221 positive cases, for example, how many have been hospitalized? Because that's one of the things that I, I don't think we're getting now. We're being told that you know we, we're concerned about overwhelming the healthcare facility situation, and obviously that's the case. You look at what's going on in New York City, which is an epicenter. They're <clears throat> they're being overwhelmed. We don't want to see something like that happen in Wisconsin. At the same time, I think it, it would be helpful if we would provide, of those 1,221 positive cases, how many were at a point where hey, they need the people needed to be hospitalized, etc., as opposed to you know how many people <clears throat> went in with, with flu-like symptoms and then tested positive but weren't bad enough to need some form of hospitalization. We're just told, okay, go home, quarantine yourself, etc. Because if we're going to really get a handle on on how bad the problem is, don't don't we need to know those different things? And again, I'm just arguing from a perspective of what what is a realistic approach to this and how soon can we start reopening the state? And, and it seems to me those are the kind of numbers you have to know. You know, what, what, what is the strain right now on the hospitals? Everybody says it's going to peak in a week or two or whenever that is. And, okay, wh- what does it look like now? When that peak comes, are there going to be enough hospital beds? Are there going to be a way of, of dealing with this? Or <clears throat> are we going to be like New York, which is overwhelmed by this, and you need to set up tents in Central Park and those type of things? But I, I think it would be helpful if we got some of these other numbers as well to show how how are we progressing in identifying coronavirus, in treating coronavirus, and in preparing ourselves in the worst-case scenario. I mean, what percentage of the people that test positive with this are the ones that then need to be you know, need to end up being in the hospital. Those are the types of things we, you know, we need to know. We've got to be prepared. And, of course, while we're spending all this time talking about testing, we also got to make sure that we're getting the masks and the, and the personal protective equipment and all that stuff to the hospitals so the people who are on the front lines and dealing with this don't expose themselves to risk. All right, when we come back, is there anything wrong with limiting travel from hotspots? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Now, during the newscast, there was something interesting that kind of dovetails on what I was talking about earlier. I, I, I think it is important to update the general public on 
the status of the coronavirus cases. And sometimes I think people get lost in, in the numbers that are out there. And, and, and for example, the, the latest numbers are 1,221 people testing positive for coronavirus. My question, though, and, and I think it would be something interesting and worthwhile to share with the general public, because you hear 1,221 people testing positive, and I think the image is, oh, my gosh, well, if that continues to increase, you've got that 1,220, and then if this doubles in the course of a week, you know, then you're going to have 2,500, et cetera, et cetera. My question, again, and I think it would be interesting to share this with the public, not to minimize the impact of coronavirus, but rather to give us information to process this. The two things that would be interesting is okay of the people who have tested positive how many ne- <clears throat> needed to be hospitalized as opposed to you know simply okay you you've got it you've tested positive but your you know your symptoms don't need to to have you you know put in the hospital to just go home take care of yourself because my guess is out of that 1221 people there that applies to a number of them and i think that's important because we want to see you know, how close we are to having our hospital facilities overwhelmed. And, and that's an important piece of data. The other piece of data that I think is, is really important is to tell <clears throat> tell us how many of the people who have tested positive have, have recovered. And I was listening during the newscast. We were quoting um, the public health official from Fond du Lac. Her name is Kim Muller. And, and she was saying, okay, here, here's the numbers in Fond du Lac. We've had... 22 total cases of coronavirus. Of that 22, two have passed away, 16 have recovered, and we have four active cases. But but that's that's 16. So of the presumably that 16 is worked into the state's 1,221 positive numbers. You've got a good portion of the people who have recovered. Now, that doesn't mean coronavirus isn't significant. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing the safer at home thing. But, I mean, of the two, of the 1,221 positive tests, how many people still actively have it, which I think is an important number to know if you're worried. Are all 1,221 people, you know, walking around and have they potentially infected other people? It's not to minimize it, but this is important numbers, I think, if you're going to try to figure out what we do moving forward. And I guess if they can do it in Fond du Lac, if they can tell you the number of people who have recovered, I guess my question would be why can't the state or why doesn't the state tell us the number of people out of that 1,221 who's tested positive, who has in fact recovered, again, so we can understand the scope of this and and how close we are right now to overwhelming the public health facility. And if they're doing it because they think we can't process this and we won't take it seriously, well, I think you need to trust the the people of Wisconsin more than that. Just saying number of hospitalizations and number of recoveries I think is relevant data as well and I think it should be included in these briefings so people can understand where it is that, that we're, we're going and do I expect like I say the number of positive tests to increase as we get more testing out there of course I, I think that's that's inevitable which is why I think it's even more important to let people know of the people who've tested positive and the vast majority of people, again, who get the test come back negative. But of the people who have tested positive, how many have already recovered? So how many active cases are we dealing with? And like I say, in Fond du Lac, out of 22 cases, two have passed away and four are, are still active. Everybody else is recovering. Okay. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
a number of states have taken the position that if you are traveling from hot spots, we are going to demand that you quarantine yourself. Matter of fact, one of the things that President Trump was considering doing over the weekend until the governor of New York just just balked at it, he was considering putting a travel ban, essentially quarantining people in New York State, Connecticut, and, and Rhode Island, which is where, again, you've had a number of the coronavirus outbreaks. Well, the, the governor of New York complained about that. I don't know if the president would have had the power to do that anyways, but they've said, no, we're, we're, we're going to continue to allow people to travel. In a number of states, um, for example, Florida, Texas, etc., what they are doing is they've got the state patrol, and the state patrol is out on the highways, and they are stopping people without a state plates, believe it or not. They're stopping people without a state plates, and, and what they're saying is that, okay, if you're coming from, from New York, for example, what we're doing is um, we're going to order you to self-quarantine yourself. We're going to take names. We're going to find out where you're going, and we're going to order you to self-quarantine, and then we're going to forward that information. So let's say you're driving into Florida. You get into Florida. You get stopped by the state patrol. You say, well, I've got a second place down in Naples. They say, okay, well, we're going to let you go to Naples, but you know, you're, you're going to have to self-quarantine yourself there, and we're going to forward this information down to the authorities in Naples. They are stopping people and demanding quarantines. Now, we're not doing that in, in Wisconsin. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be having mandatory quarantines of people who are coming to Wisconsin from out of state? And, and should it be from all the states? Or should we be concentrating on those areas of the country where you've had the coronavirus outbreaks? And, and right now, at least, the, the epicenter for this is, is New York. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess if you're asking me, and I'll, I'll start this off, I, I, of course we should be doing this. If we're telling people in the state of Wisconsin who have not been exposed, who, who haven't been anywhere close to epicenters, if we're telling ourselves, okay, safer at home, stay at home, only go out for essential stuff, all those type of things, if we've got somebody who is traveling to Wisconsin from one of the areas that is a coronavirus epicenter, of course we should be having mandatory quarantines. Seems to me that that's self-evident. And, and right now, I mean, I don't know where I'd start. I definitely say the New York area. Um, maybe it's going to be necessary to add other places as time goes on. Detroit's starting to see, you know, outbreaks as well. But, but yeah, is there anything wrong with mandatory, and I mean mandatory, quarantines of people, and I'm not talking about truckers or things like that, but visitors, people who are coming from some of these hotbeds into Wisconsin, shouldn't we be imposing a mandatory quarantine? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I hear what they're doing in Florida. I hear what they're doing in Texas. doesn't strike me as being out of line at all. Not saying you can't travel here, but if you do travel from one of these hot spots, you have to go into mandatory quarantine for two weeks. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so here's the deal. In some states, Florida, Texas, they are actively stopping cars, cars that pull in on the interstate, and especially if you've got out-of-state plates. That's not a perfect system, but if you are from one of the areas, like New York City, where there's a hotbed of this, of the uh, epicenter of the coronavirus, they're telling you, okay, mandatory self-quarantine. 855-616-1620, Mike in Manitowoc. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jeff. I just want to add a little food for thought. We have no positive cases yet reported in Manitowoc County. Right. I went past the small hospital in Two Rivers today, and they're putting up a, a shelter out in the park. But I, my thought is we have to treat each individual area. I read one time that in uh, if everybody lived like New York City, the entire world's population would fit in the state of Texas. They're so densely populated. Right. Right. So, so your, I mean, so you your know, point we're, we're, is, Manitowoc is different than New York. We need, we should have different rules for Manitowoc than New York. Absolutely. We we do have to worry about the travel because all it takes is one right. person coming from Chicago, wherever. Right. So. Right. No, I'm. That's my no, I'm with you. No, thanks for calling. Let's see, and, and th- again, this ties into one of my theories, which is, <clears throat> again, we, we need to be surgical about this, and, and treating Manitowoc like we treat New York City doesn't make any sense to me. And, and right now we've got this one-size-fits-all approach, and, and that's fine for the time being. But when we start trying to open up, reopen for, for regular life and business, I think, like I said, we need to be surgical about it. And I, I understand you don't want coronavirus coming to Manitowoc, but the different Manitowoc does not have the population density that New York does. I mean, Manitowoc doesn't have the population density that the area in the city of Milwaukee where they've had the, the outbreak has. And, and so I, I think it, it just only makes sense to me that if the idea is, we're going to make people who live in Manitowoc, for example, and we're going to tell them you've you got to close down these businesses and we have to follow all these safer-at-home rules, and, and that's fine. But if, if we're going to say that, it, it doesn't make any sense to me to do that and then at the same time say, okay, but, you know, we've got a bunch of people who've just left New York City and they've come to Wisconsin and they're going to go up to Manitowoc for, for whatever, and, and we're not going to... We're not going to subject them to quarantines or whatever. That makes no sense because it strikes me that the people in Manitowoc, where there's little or no cases of this, they're much more at risk from getting coronavirus from somebody who's come in, say, from New York City, um, bringing it along with them, than they are from interacting with some of the fellow people from town who, you know, Maybe they've been exposed, but the odds aren't that great. To me, it's just one of the things that, that ends up making sense. And, of course, you have to implement these types of quarantines. All right, um, let's see. Jeff, this is Ray from Illinois. No problem with mandatory quarantines at all. In fact, I'd go farther. When these places like New, Shore, New York City turn into hotspots, I'd turn them down. Nobody gets in or out. Well, <clears throat> again, th- that's what President Trump hinted at over the weekend that maybe we should just completely and totally quarantine New York City. And like I say, Governor Cuomo went absolutely ballistic on that. Oh, you can't, you know, stop people from being able to travel in and out of New York City. And New York City is, is a, not only is it a hotbed of coronavirus, but of course it's the financial center of this country and one of the financial centers of the world. And I think it would be difficult to tell people, 
you can't travel to or from there. I do think, though, it's reasonable to say, hey, if you're coming to an area from New York, boom, you know, you have to understand at this time that we're going to have to presume that you have been exposed to coronavirus and we're going to have to treat it accordingly. And that means, um, that means that we're going to do the, the mandatory quarantine. Now, I'm getting a number of emails or texts that are suggesting, well, if that's the case, should we talk about mandatory quarantines for people who are living in the hot spots in, in Wisconsin? Because there are a couple hot spots in Wisconsin. Again, half of the reported coronavirus cases come from Milwaukee County. And of those, the vast majority are from a couple areas, in a couple areas, you know, in the city of Milwaukee. So, I mean, again, I, I think that as we move forward and we start talking about, you know, how do we reopen the state, I, I think that that's a fair thing to say. Maybe Tom Barrett wants to have different rules, and those rules have to last longer for the city of Milwaukee than, I, I don't know, the, the county executive in Barron County or something like that. That, to me, only makes sense. It's this one-size-fits-all approach, which I think, as we move forward, I think it perhaps unfairly limits some counties and unfairly allows other counties that might be more likely to have you know people that have been exposed to this allows them to you know travel jeff why are we letting any airplanes leave new york city new orleans chicago or any place in california oregon and washington these are the hot spots of the country they should be shut down immediately well i don't so much have a problem with people being able to, to travel and, and to move into into the, the state. Okay, so you're coming from San Francisco. Should you be able to come to Milwaukee? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. But once you get to Milwaukee, yeah, I, I think at that point in time, you as a condition, given what's going on now, you know, you have to agree to a mandatory quarantine. That's, to me, I think, you know, how you handle it. There's all sorts of reasons why somebody might need to travel from, you know, New York to, to Wisconsin. And all, and all sorts of good, legitimate reasons. That's fine. You do that traveling. You don't travel if you're sick. You don't travel if you're showing any symptoms. I understand that doesn't solve the whole problem because you might be sick and not be showing the symptoms. But when you travel, once you get here, we are going to presume that you are, are positive for this. And that means, all right, you've got to sit for two weeks. That's, I think, how we have to handle this. That's how I think we have to balance it out. And for the states that are restricting travel from coronavirus hot zones, I understand why they're doing it. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. This is Jeff Wagner.